Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We've gotten good at this to the point where we just like a couple minutes ago realized that this is the last episode before the draft lottery. (laughs) Previous years, there'd be streamers, there'd be banners, we'd be messaging each other. We'd have multiple lists out by now, and now it's like, yeah, we know what's happening. Yeah, we know. We know what to expect. Do what you must. Who cares? It's it's Stannis from Game of Thrones. It's do your duty. Yeah, like, it's not even the thing I'm... I have three things going on after work that day, and it's the thing I'm looking forward to the third most. Hey, please. If you're up there, please. (laughs) (laughs) Like, legit, my whole game plan is let's get that draft lottery done as quickly as possible so I can get to the Rangers playoff game. (laughs) At this point, it's. I think this episode, any year before this, would have been titled Draft Lottery Preview. And now it's just... Literally no one cares. No. I, <laughs> it's a formality at yeah. this point. <laughs> We've been hurt before. We, have, we react accordingly now. Learning. Don't ever say we have not grown. <laughs> <laughs> just wait until they get to the Red Wings pick and it's not their card and then madness. And then, oh man! See, but that that exists in a reality where that actually would happen, or or it's it'll not, be, or it'll be like in this four one. before the Red Wings, and one team won't be there, and it'll be like God. No, yeah, yeah. whoever it's, the first two are that are supposed to pop up, like Vegas and <laughs> and Vancouver, and it just skips those. Oh, cool! I don't even need to stay till the end of it. Turn Bye, it off, everybody. It's gonna turn into an Evan Golf live stream for as long as he wants to stay. Ah, uh, hey, I'm going to the golf course tomorrow. Maybe I'll bring my clubs at home so that I have them just in case. Yeah, and play in the room, play in the backyard. Actually, yeah, there you go. I can do that. Actually, yeah. If the first two cards flip, like, and it's dumb, I will literally be at the Kitchener Windsor game before uh, Bill Daly gets to the final card. Evan and I will go <laughs> play a twilight round at the course. Yep. Yeah. All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast and happy Mother's Day uh, to all your moms and your mother figures. Um, And if that doesn't apply to you today, happy Sunday. Um, Here to talk to you about Red Wings hockey and the pain uh, that is impending and a review of this past season. There's Um, no pain when you expect nothing. You see, we say that. (laughs) I'm one of your very wary hosts, Ryan Hanna. You can't kill what is already dead. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Yeah, that's it. That's the guy that's already dead. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is part one of our 2021-2022 Detroit Red Wings season in review. We're going to be taking a look at the forwards. And, of happy yeah, we're going to be looking at the forwards and uh, somewhat awkwardly the coaches. Oops. It's a different segment than what we had thought it would be at this point, but we're going to do it nonetheless. Uh, we'll be doing a very final draft lottery preview update mini segment. Uh, we'll take a look at what's happened in the playoffs that no one can seem to predict properly. And uh, a maybe very pertinent and probably one of the most plentiful conversations we're going to have about uh, prospect profile today. A uh, divisive one, but I think one that's really relevant to the Red Wings. So... I know, Brad, you're especially looking forward to it. It's this year's Kirby Doc for Brad. Don't make the other comparison. I'm going to make the other comparison at some point. Well, you gotta, it's got to be clickbait. Hold on to that for now. Yeah, exactly. See, Evan's a master of hanging on to clickbait. He monetizes all of his thoughts. It's true. And for those who stay around, I have the conclusion of the locker story. Oh, 
for our Patreon exclusive overtime. Uh, yeah, whenever you want me to tell it, I'll tell it. Evan's so good at this. He did not. He actually didn't tell Brad and I this before hitting record. But Evan's also so good at this. There's a reasonable chance we'll get to the end of the episode <laughs> and he'll forget about it. It's yeah. very, very true. <laughs> but wait until later and then it never comes. Before we start, though, I, I do want to thank everyone again. Our Wings Money on the Board campaign uh, in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation is an initiative that we started with our good friend of the podcast, Prashanth Iyer. Um, it has more or less wrapped up. A few of your pledges are based on the Calder Trophy and, and some other things, but we have cleared now $29,000 raised for the Jamie Daniels Foundation this season alone. The two-year total uh, from the Red Wings community to the Jamie Daniels Foundation, I know Denver Law on Reddit um, kickstarted a lot of this, and um, I think it's close to fifty grand. So, you know, from from us, from Prashanth, you know, from Ken, the, the Jamie Daniels Foundation, thank you, thank you, thank you, and we can't wait to do even more. We have a lot of great ideas. And like I said last time, the flannels are coming. All right. The forward group from the Detroit Red Wings, the 2021-2022 season. You know, we joke about it being painful and we joke about it being a rough year. But in terms of bright spots, maybe the most plentiful and the most interesting year that the Red Wings have had up front by no means did they roll four scoring lines. They're not Florida. Well, maybe Florida's not a good reference right now. <laughs> but They're not Washington. They're not the previous year's Detroit Red Wings either. So where do we want to start here? We could go alphabetical order to keep it interesting. We could go top line down. We can go bottom line up. You have options, Ryan. Get weird. Let's, let's do the top line as the season started. Let's do the traditional... Uh, Larkin flanked by Raymond and Bertuzzi line. Oh, we're doing this line by line, not player by player. Yeah, let's go. Um, Because there, once you get past the top line, there aren't lines. Let's start with the captain. <laughs> okay. Let's start with Dylan Larkin because I, I think he has to be one of the most notable, if not the most notable story for, for um, returning Red Wings this season with how he turned a season around. And I mean, good timing for him. He has a contract coming up, but finishing the year with almost a point per game play or a point per game wasn't something that we had thought would be very likely to happen. Especially when you factor in that he played a decent chunk of the season through an injury. As is tradition. Yeah. And um, missed the game due to a suspension. Worth it. Yeah. Very. (laughs) The most worth a suspension I think I've seen from the Red Wings in a long time. Yeah. So Dylan Larkin... um, in his second his second full season as captain, uh, finished the year with 31 goals, 38 assists, 69 points. Nice. nice. Um, in 71 games. And like you said, Brad, he started the season off with some lingering stuff with his neck and finished about a third of the season, at least, with a core injury that just got worse uh, around sometime in February, I believe which he ended up needing surgery to correct and is now on the recovery course. But still, that year, um, to get back to a point per game after finishing with 23 points in 44 games the year prior and 53 points in 71 games in the year before that, it's one hell of a bounce back from Dylan Larkin. Yeah, um, as far as expectations go relative to what we expected at the start of the season, it was about as good as could be expected. You know, not that he was a perfect player, not that he – he didn't have some cold stretches, not many, but um, yeah, I mean, he dragged 
a team that by all rights should have been bottom three in the league kicking and screaming um, to a eighth worst finish, which I don't think um, many people would think was possible watching this team the final 75% of the season. Um, you know, there was nothing he didn't do for this team. He killed penalties. He was go to a go-to guy in the power play. He was the go-to guy at five on five. Um, he was the guy, uh, for better or for worse, instigating, initiating, and retaliating to a lot of shit that was happening on the ice. <laughs> um, and you know, he was the guy to always step in front of the media and, and face the music, uh, especially towards the end of the season. Although he's been doing that l- since long before he was captain. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's sitting back and go and disappointed in Larkin's year, I, I really don't know what to tell you. Is he? Connor McDavid is he Austin Matthews no of course not but nobody ever thought he would be even at his best nobody says this is a top five center in the NHL this guy had a good enough year that you could say he was definitively a first line center which was a very real debate last summer of whether he was or not wasn't so the fact he is um is a huge huge step in the right direction and um you know is he a top 30 center in the league yeah is he a top 15 maybe the, argument, the, the conversation could be had. So by whatever metric, expectation, anything you want to measure Larkin season by, he exceeded it. I want to talk about his goal total. Finished with 31 goals. Um, he had a career-high 14.6% shooting percentage. That is more than double of last season's 6.7 and still a significant amount the season before is 8.5. Shot really well he shot well was there luck involved yeah maybe i don't know but he shot really well that kind of shooting percentage you would guess you won't count on that every year but how much of that is aided by you know playing with now two high-end wingers right with tyler bertuzzi taking a similar step in his career uh trajectory and playing in in more games than he did obviously the season prior and then lucas raymond coming in and being a phenom you know, not to say that they carried Larkin on his shoulders, but did they unlock something? Is this something where we can expect this kind of production reasonably from Larkin through his next um, six years through age 31? I would say that his career shooting percentage going forward is going to be closer to the 14 than it was the eight. Because what Bertuzzi and Raymond do is they allow Larkin to get fair matchups. Let's not forget last year, Bertuzzi missed almost all that season. And the Red Wings didn't have Raymond. They didn't have anybody close to either of those two players. So when Larkin was on the ice, the opposition could just, to steal a basketball term, double team Larkin if they wanted. And they took away the middle of the ice for him. They knew to key on him off the rush. And they knew once they got into the cycle, there wasn't much of a threat anywhere on the ice with him. Having those two on the ice, or even just Raymond for stretches and, and any competent player on the other side, now spreads the D out. Now it presents more options, and Larkin did a good job of getting of utilizing the space he was getting on the ice. So I'm sure if we looked at, you know, huge shot maps from last year to this year, his shot quality was probably a lot better this year, a lot closer to the home plate area because he had space, he took it. And if the defenseman the def- the defending team overcommitted on him. Well, that's where his 38 assists came from. So, you know, I, I think it was just a matter of better line mates, 
freeing up more space and him wisely utilizing that space. The um, the power play when it would go stagnant and they would do that thing where no one would use a seam and no one would move. He was never, you know, completely free of blame on that. I think pretty much every Red Wings forward fell into that trap at some point. Maybe less more outsider, um, obviously not a forward, but moving on the blue line, he did that pretty consistently. But when they did figure it out, a lot of that was driven by Larkin either finding that movement, finding that space, or he was one of the few people to generate those, you know, filthy seam passes to take advantage of the little slip ups and coverage from defenders. And that's something that I really liked from Dylan Larkin. There's something about knowing that your line mates are smart enough to know where to be even before the play has developed to that point. I mean, it's kind of like a broad, weird statement, but that factors into hockey IQ. And when you're playing with players with really good hockey IQ, like Lucas Raymond does, like Lucas Raymond has, and, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi fits into that really well as well. Um, it just, it allows you to do so much more than if you're playing with, you know, Evan Lobsinger on your wing. Yeah, very true. Your comment about Dylan Larkin being a 1C. I admittedly in the past have said, I think Dylan Larkin is undoubtedly this team's first line center, which isn't a hot take, but I think pegging him to the to the league average, he's probably a really good second line center. And I think this is the year that he proved me wrong on that. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, the question always has been, could the Red Wings win a Stanley Cup with Dylan Larkin as your 1C? Yes. I think, I think so. that answer is yes. Now, um, it depends it, how that, that addresses the how they that that depends on how they address that gaping hole at center uh, behind him, <laughs> behind him in the lineup. Um, so there's still an asterisk, but that's not a Larkin problem. That is not a criticism of Dylan Larkin. If the Red Wings, by some miracle, get Shane Wright or Logan Cooley or Matt Savoy in this draft, and they turn into pretty close to what they expect. We expect those players to become. Yeah, that's a, that's a Stanley Cup one, too. If the Red Wings have a second line center that's almost as good as Dylan Larkin and a third line center that's like Joe Valeno, uh, I would want a little bit more than Joe Valeno, probably. Joe Valeno, three years into his career, not as a rookie? Yeah, maybe. There you go. Take Nazem Kadri. Obviously, won't have the production that he has in Colorado. Whatever you want to do. Pew Suter. It's hard because I work with what you got, Ryan. <laughs> it's hard because we make these declarations and it's like, oh, if, if we have two Larkins, then that's a cup competitive team. But it's like, who are the wingers? What's the, the chemistry of those lines? How much depth do they have? Does the scoring go down to line four? What kind of defensive support do they have? It's kind of stupid to make broad sweeping statements like this. But what has that stopped us before? Speaking of which, Evan, your takes on Larkins resurgent season and maybe how it ended as well. Um. Yeah, I think he had a very, very strong season, you know, being a point-per-game player in the NHL is becoming more frequent, apparently, but it's still quite an achievement, especially on a team where it's almost just you and one other person on your line that can help you. Yeah. Um, I thought he had a really good year. I I think, you know, some of the rookie success that we saw, uh, some of the credit has to go to him as well, um, trying to lead that group through the the tire fire that is the Detroit Red Wings. Um, yeah, just bad ending for him, but uh, I think nothing but positive really for this season. I will say moving forward, you know, there is a, there's a, 
we'll call it a conversation about the captaincy and, and leadership towards the end of the year. But to, for, to have a good faith conversation about that, the Red Wings are at a point of flux right now. They're at a big pivot and we don't know what direction they're going to move because there isn't, there isn't a new coach yet. And they've been flailing for a little while in terms of uh, the coaching and, and, and the the leadership from the coaching staff. And that's not an indictment on Jeff Blaschel, but even talking about what we talked about for the last two episodes, Jeff Blaschel inherited a bad team and whether or not you think he did a good job, that it just wasn't there. And no player likes to see, likes to know that they lost their coach, their job. And that's how players interpret this. And a new coach coming in needs to be able to bring this team to the next level. And whether that is development of individual players and just not getting absolutely blown out or maybe this team makes a move to get closer to the playoffs next year i don't know we have to see what eisman does but a lot of that starts in the room with larkin his leadership of the team like you said evan raising raymond up to the next level making sure this group stays together it's not easy transitioning between coaches and in terms of the cohesive the cohesiveness of a team and making sure they stick together it's a it's a risky point like this is a note a potential note of failure and this is where you want to see larkin you know, step up and make sure that he continues to lead on the ice with the production and continues to be a good leader. And and I should finish this out by saying I don't think we've seen anything to suggest otherwise so far. Some people don't like the penalties, but again, I think Matthew Joseph deserved that punch to the face. Do <laughs> you remember watching that and going, oh, he hit him in the air, and then we saw the replay and going, oh, yeah, he caught him. Yeah, well, yeah. quote a good chunk of Red Wings Twitter, Dylan Larkin would never. He would never. <laughs> Um, okay, let's get into, I think, one of the, the other most notable uh, forwards here, which is Tyler Bertuzzi, who, similarly to Dylan Larkin, came back and had a massive, massive season. 68 games played, 30 goals, 32 assists for 62 points. And, you know, when he left the, the top line, there the production did dip a little bit after a brief hot period with the, the Guelph Storm line. But... All in all, from Tyler Bertuzzi, what a phenomenal year. And again, in terms of timing, it couldn't have come at a better time. for Like every other guy who's in a contract year. <laughs> yeah, honestly. And he's uh, he's 26 years old right now, and there's a lot coming up for him. And he doesn't have the same hist- contract history as Larkin. You know, Larkin got locked up to that long-term deal, and that's from the Ken Holland era. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi's had two contentious negotiations with the Red Wings and uh, has one year left on his deal but let's let's talk about the player so far what do you make of Tyler Bertuzzi's season and and what he was able to do especially after missing the majority of last season uh with a pretty major back surgery I mean with how hot he came out of the gate that was a very welcome relief because of all the questions we had going into the season and then the other stuff that we're not going to talk about um <laughs> Yeah, it was it was literally as good as could be expected, much like Larkin, um, in terms of production, role, preseason expectations relative to what he actually delivered. It was all fantastic. The only difference between him and Larkin is uh, the consistency that wasn't there for Bert this year. That His second half of the year, I don't have the numbers to back it up, but watching his play, it, he felt like a different player. He, he felt like he really dropped off when the team dropped off overall. Now, he definitely still had a couple hot streaks in there, which is good. So it was a good indication that he um, didn't lose whatever 
got into him in the first two months of the season. Um, but yeah, it did, it did seem to be less frequent and, uh, he had a harder time getting a rhythm and I don't know if that's just, um, you know, him regressing to whatever his mean actually is, or if that was, you know, a result of the line jumbling, the team lack of team success. Cause you know, that Guelph line was very hot for like a couple games and then they went ice cold for a while. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it because, like, again, without having the numbers directly in front of me, I feel like his his season splits are probably pretty dramatic. Yeah, they weren't they they weren't great. I remember he went like a big stretch where you could have told me to like, remove the name and you could have told me it was two different players. Yeah. So obviously that's going to be a big talking point leading into all the other Tyler Bertuzzi talking points this off season. Right. Um. Is like you know when you're when you're approaching a Tyler Bertuzzi trade conversation. Are you trading November Tyler Bertuzzi or are you trading I don't know, March Tyler Bertuzzi? Because that could be two very different players that command two very different values. Um, and, and yeah, but overall, so obviously not to needle him down. He had a phenomenal season. And um, overall, yeah, it was it was damn with Larkin. It was as good as could be expected with Bertuzzi. It was damn near as good as could be expected. Um, I mistakenly said Bertuzzi's 26. He just turned 27. Like, oh, he's practically dead. Tree. Dust. Yeah, my God. Creaky old bones. Could you imagine? Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> Every day. Um, yeah. Tyler Bertuzzi, I think. So we'll actually come out and say it. The, the start of the year was questionable in terms of what to expect from Tyler Bertuzzi. First of all, there was all the raucous of he was one of the last players or the only players in the NHL to choose not to be vaccinated and thus couldn't play the games in Canada this year. Uh, at the time, the last At player. the time, the yeah. And he also was coming off major back surgery. So, you know, a lot of the storylines and the, the attention coming around Tyler Bertuzzi to start the year was not the most positive stuff or at the very least it was incredibly divisive um but the way he started the season and the way he played honestly through to like even the the first couple of weeks after he got moved down to that Guelph line he was one of the top goal scorers in the league at points yeah, For yeah. weeks like yeah. not just like he came out of the gate with the hat trick against Tampa Bay and arguably the goal of the year and then um yeah, he he did not slow down for a while after that. Yeah, he was and he was outstanding he was outstanding in the kind of way where, you know, you might hate hearing this phrase, but he played playoff hockey every single game. I genuinely believe that he – that's the reason you hear so many trade rumors about him. It's not because a Red, every Red Wings fan wants to trade him. It's because most teams want him. Like teams who – Shocker. Are, teams want other teams' good players. But the thing is, like this guy's producing and he plays a hard-nosed game. He battles. He wins. And like – he doesn't do it on the back of like phenomenal skating. No, he's the 200% effort. And then he still has the skill and the production on top of that. He displayed a wicked shot this year. Like he flat out beat yeah. the best goalies in the leagues, uh, in the league at times with his shot. And especially given time and space, I think that's another element to the, the Red Wings forward group is, you know, teams didn't have to only game plan against Dylan Larkin anymore. You now have a healthy Tyler Bertuzzi and you have Lucas Raymond on the other wing to worry about. And there's Tyler Bertuzzi in space who will just rip it or he'll crash the net and slash you in the teeth after. Yep. So kind of like Detroit's new age little ball of hate. Um, loved the game he played and and he did fall off. I will give Tyler credit though. You know, moving to from a line to play with uh, Larkin and Raymond to not Larkin and Raymond is hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, looking at it here, it looked like it was um, – it was more consistent than I thought, but uh, – yeah, his um, 
April is probably why, because that left a little to be desired. Ah. So, which is so while, they were, while they were well out of the race at that point, so I will happily accept that. The stats for none of the Red Wings count in April, except maybe yeah. Ned's. We'll count Ned's, yeah. his little recovery there. Um, yeah, it was – oh, by the way, uh, he didn't open with a hat trick. He opened with a four-goal game. Four-goal game. Yes. There's still a hat trick in there. There is, yeah. Technically. Your, whether people like it or not, they're going to continue to hear the Tyler Bertuzzi trade talk. Until, and maybe even after, but at least until we see what the next contracts are. And the reason I open with D- uh, Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi is because they both have a year left. Larkin at $6.1 million, Tyler Bertuzzi at $4.75. They're due for contract extensions. Cha-ching. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, they're not getting that on their next contracts. As less. Of, as of July. Right, guys, less? <laughs> Absolutely less. Yeah, buddy. We're winning the draft lottery, too. Yes. Okay, great. And you know what? The sun doesn't go down on the golf course. You can golf until midnight oh. now. If only that were true. That I know is a lie. <laughs> no, please, God, no. We need to record episodes. Oh, God. <laughs> that would be the end of the podcast. We'd fold. Um, yeah, no, they're they're not going to come in very cheap. And as of July 1st, those contracts can be signed. That is, doesn't matter what we talk about in terms of UFAs, uh, other UFAs, RFAs, trades, coaching, whatever. Those two players are the biggest order of business for Steve Eisenman this offseason and Depending on how long this goes, right? He could take it till, you know, June 30th of 2023 if he wants. And Steve Eisenman has the big brass ones to do it. We've seen him do it with Steven Stamkos. Please don't, Steve. <laughs> I would like resolutions before the season starts. My hair has thinned enough. <laughs> I can't take a full year of uh, Steven Stamkos-esque discourse around Dylan Larkin. I just can't. I don't want to know what teams Tyler Bertuzzi has met with, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like with Bertuzzi, I'm I'm less concerned because I I think there's, you know, reasonable expectation that okay, if Tyler Bertuzzi is like the jewel of the trade deadline this year, I don't think that's going to catch anybody off guard. I'm not ready for those conversations about Dylan Larkin. It pisses me off when I hear like Rangers fans. Rangers fans have had a thing about Larkin for a long time. I don't quite get it, but they always like mock up trades, and it's like, you know, Larkin in a fourth for Capocaco or something stupid like that. And it just like it dry like I have a little twitch in my eye, and I so I know what you mean. The Larkin, the Larkin talk is, and no, that that just goes to show no player is immune to this. Like ask a Penguins fan if uh, if you know any. Like every time Evgeny Malkin is either not playing to one hundred and ten percent of his capacity or is nearing a contract year, trade immediately, trade to the Blackhawks every well, time. Every no time. worries, his contract's about to expire, and that is how the Red Wings solved their second line center problem in the short term. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. My brain's computing right now. <laughs> if other teams are going to do it to us, we should do it to them. Yeah, quite honestly. Those two players, in my mind, don't, whatever grades you're giving out to the Red Wings, those two players should only be beat out by Maurice Sider, Larkin and Bertuzzi for, for the years that they had. Um, yeah, if you're giving letter grades by performance relative to expectation – I mean, it's no surprise, but yeah, Raymond and Satter would be the only two, even in their reality, their world, their atmosphere, whatever you want to call it. Nobody yeah. else is going to come close. Yeah. But again, the the next year, it's not like it's going to happen on, on July 1st. The focus is going to be on them for that contract, and the focus is going to be on them to produce like this again. They're, the last thing about I'll, I'll say about Bertuzzi before we move on here is, can he do this sustainably? His his kind of game, he's young. He's still young, but his kind of game, can you do that forever? 
No. The back surgery, does that come into play later on or is that not a concern anymore? Based on the way he looked this season, I, I will say it's not a short-term concern. Yeah. So that'll be someone else's problem. Either future us or future someone else. Oh, future. Fucking, screw those guys. Future yeah. us. We hate them. I'm all about the now. <laughs> um, okay. Let's move to the the third of the trio, Lucas Raymond, and his rookie season. I'll let you start. He was very close to leading all rookies in points. He may very well be a Calder finalist. Not likely, but he'll be, he's definitely in the conversation. He played on the Red Wings' first line every single game this season, all 82. And we weren't sure if he was going to make the team at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Like, oh, God bless Jeff Blashill's wife. <laughs> Mrs. Blashill. Oh, man. I felt bad because I... <laughs> she really knows a Calder candidate when she sees one. Yeah, honestly. She retain her services. Yeah. She absolutely nailed it. Yeah. Right on the money. Yeah, we... Uh, a lot of our work... Our work. A lot of what we do, we've done over the last few years is try to temper expectations because... It's a rebuild and rebuilds suck. And I think and also we know what's normal in the NHL now. And what Lucas Raymond did this year is not normal. Yeah. From an overtime in a previous episode, someone said, like, remember when I told you, like, what if Cider gets 50 and Raymond gets 70? Very nearly got that. Like, the, that was within <laughs> the realm of, like, what we got. And, uh, yeah, Raymond came into camp and, you know, had a great camp. And we were like, oh, huh. it was it's the Vince McMahon meme. Yeah. And then had a great, like, started off amazing in the preseason. And we're like, ooh. And then, like, even though he wasn't scoring four goals a game by the end of the preseason, we were like, he's played his way under the team. And then started on the top line for opening night and hit the ground running. For those who don't remember, for the first couple months at least, I, I in my mind, Lucas Raymond was the front runner for the Calder. What he did all like what he did to start that season, especially it was him bar none. Obviously, Cider changed the game as he got up to speed. But what Lucas Raymond displayed in terms of hockey IQ, execution, you know, playing NHL hockey against other top lines with the team's best players, it's not easy to do. Not easy to do at all. And you know, people might have seen it as an insult. To, to hear him talking, spoken about in the same breath as Egress, but you need to see that as a compliment for both players. There's others around him. There's Michael Bunting, who is playing in his 17th season, something like that. But um, what those guys were able to do and what Lucas Raymond was able to do and, and capitalize on that time, we've seen how many players come in and play with Larkin or Larkin and Bertuzzi. For Raymond to do that right off the bat as a rookie, we might go decades without seeing that again on the Red, on the Red Wings. Yeah, I think he had the second most impressive season of a Red Wing on this god-awful team. Yeah. It it truly is remarkable, and we need to remember how rare of an, of an event like this is and how fortunate the Red Wings are to have success in, in Lucas Raymond. I think his dip in play or like kind of – I don't want to call it regression to the mean because I, I don't want to make it seem like he was – you know, producing at an unsustainable level. We saw the beginnings of his career this year with 23 goals, 34 assists for 57 points. But like you said, Brad, he played an 82-game season, which is exceptionally difficult to do. Him, Sider, and I believe Pew Suter were the only ones to do it on the Red Wings. 
for a rookie to come into the NHL and play a full 82 game season. That is like, I've never ran a marathon, so I can't tell you what it's like, but I have to imagine it's like only running quarter or half marathons and then coming in cold and just running a full marathon without ever practicing it. And he did it on the backs of like a lot of hockey over the previous months before. And he had the elbow injury, I think coming like coming into that off season before coming to the Red Wings. So that drop in play, I think was to be expected. And unless you're a freak like Moritz Sider, it happened to every single, any other like top rookie happened to Zegers happened to bunting. I'm sure like in 1901 or whenever he started. Um, but even then, kind of similar to Bertuzzi, where you're like, he's been slumping for a little while, or he hasn't scored for 13 games. And the moment you said it out loud, he'd like go and have a great game. Or he'd put together a solid game, but the team was, you know, the April 2022 Red Wings, where nothing counts and nothing happened. So Being consistent in the NHL is one of the most, consistently good, is one of the most difficult things to do. And the fact that he had moments of inconsistency, whether it be shifts, games, weeks, whatever is all irrelevant to me because that's something it's going to take a lot of time for him to learn. Yeah. If uh, we had like a random number generator at the start of the season to predict what Lucas Raymond's points would be, and we got 23 goals, 34 assists for 57 points, we would smash the yes button on that a hundred times out of a hundred. That is a dream scenario. for Really is remarkable. So, and you know what else he did is when the power play was good, I think he unlocked something in the power play. Yeah, he was the how do I phrase this cuz the Red Wings power play is bad. <laughs> he was the player on the Red Wings power play who looked the most like he understood how a power play was supposed to operate. Yeah. Cuz as good as Larkin is, not his thing. Bertuzzi's role on the power play was very specific so he didn't need to know how to run a power play. Mo Sider is a freak and, and you could tell he grasped it. And whoever the hell they had playing bumper at any given moment was uh, a body there. Raymond definitely gave the impression that that was his power play that he was running off the half wall. He knew when to shoot. He knew when to make the play and he knew how to operate within whatever the hell the system was that the Red Wings were attempting to run. Um, the reason power play was bad is because not all five players were on the same page, but he was, uh, that was not a Lucas Raymond problem. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So to be able to do that at 19 years old or whatever he was for a majority of the season is, is extremely impressive considering the level of talent, the Red Wings power first power play unit had. And we will talk more about the special teams, um, in the next episode when we do this. We have to. No, we can we, sir, can we special. All right. Yeah. Can we just make fart noises instead and make it save us some time? What did we tell you about spoiling segments, man? Okay. You got to save the content. I don't have, I don't have Evan's, um, ability for that. No, no, that's not one of your natural talents. The power play spoiler. Making fart noises though is one of my natural <laughs> talents. So everybody's in for a treat. You are a good dad, huh? <laughs> that's why the kids love you. Yeah, for all that said, the Red Wings power play did come 4% below league average, more than actually. So, which was an improvement on the previous season. <laughs> God, I hate it here. <laughs> um, let's talk about Pew Suter. Brought in to take the second line center role. You're really front loading this segment, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, because it, it's going to get easier as you trail down. <laughs> Speaking of those aforementioned fart noises, we have, well, we are going to spend seven hours on Jordan Osterley. So, okay. Yeah. Well, that's the next episode, though. Yeah. Pew Suter uh, was brought in free as a, you know, free agent signing. 
Thank you, Chicago, um, which we almost never say that. <laughs> and came in and put together a tidy season as the Red Wings' de facto second-line center. 15 goals, 21 assists for 36 points. Uh, again, one of the, the three players to play all 82 games. And, you know, is he the second-line center on a team that's pushing for the playoffs or, or competing for a cup? No. But did that give the Red Wings the space to do whatever the hell it is that they needed to do in the bottom six all year? with Valeno, Rasmussen, Stevens, and anyone else playing center there? Yeah. And at points, it was downright productive with Bertuzzi and Fabry for the Guelph Storm line. And uh, he found himself in some advantageous spots and had some, you know, key points of contribution. And he's he's still only 25 years old. Uh, I like Pew Suter and, and what he brought to this team. And I think to no one's surprise, that was a really good pickup. Did he have a perfect season? No. by By no means was he like you're going to be hard pressed to find a Chicago Blackhawks fan who's like crying every single night because they lost him. But all in all, the Red Wings got a net ad, uh, you know, mid twenties player who can play center for them and make it. So that center depth isn't atrocious. Like it has been in previous years. Yeah. Um, a near half a point per game, responsible two way centerman. Sounds like an ideal third line center on a cup contender who can play up basically all situations, maybe not power play ideally, but he can do it not well, but he can do it. Um, yeah, that's an ideal third line center on a cup contender. So uh, the Red Wings are in that, that area of, okay, they had one set and stone center coming into this season. Now they have two where you put him in the lineup is up for debate. Maybe he's a fourth line center. If you want your team to be like Florida, maybe he's a third line center. If uh, the talent is a little more spread out, but you don't have to worry about, you know, do we keep him? Do we get rid of him? Because there's value in keeping him depending what his contract asks are. Again, it's up at the end of the season, but still a valuable player. And um, again, I don't know. Suter was harder to have expectations on coming into the season because we were getting, for the most part, an unknown. Yeah. But I would say he exceeded what we probably thought he was going to do, especially in the circumstance that he was given. Because, again, being – you could look at it two ways. Okay, should Suter have been the second-line center on an NHL team? No, probably not. Was he basically gifted the job by default? Yeah, mostly. But that also meant that he was playing second-line center minutes and matchups. On the road, there was a lot of times he was getting the other team's top line. Not for whole, the whole game, because obviously Plashill <laughs> tried his damnedest to not let that happen. But it happened. Yeah. It's, it's you know, why home ice advantage matters. Um, and he didn't completely shit the bed, which is hugely positive, you know with a ring endorsement, like saying not completely shitting the bed, <laughs> given what he had to do and what he had to work with. That, that's a very, everybody else is pooping their pants. Yeah. That's a, cause a lot of the players around him were, so <laughs> it's a, it's a strong endorsement. Like you said, you know, he's coming in with no expectations. Same as Lucas Raymond. I think that the two biggest expectations on, in the top six were for Bertuzzi and Larkin, and we talked about how they well exceeded, which is why this whole segment sounds so overwhelmingly positive. So <laughs> even, enjoy it while it lasts, folks. Yeah. So even for his on ice play, like yes, and that was positive and it was good, and, and at points like great, 
and at worst, I think average, more or less. He just what he did to shelter the lineup below him and to shelter at times the Red Wings from getting completely destroyed in terms of depth. Obviously, that fell apart later in the season, but he's coming in on at 3.25 million for one more year. And, you know, provided he's able to do a similar thing next year, you want to see him stay on the Red Wings to offer that versatility at center. You never you never saw his line go out there and you're like, what, what are we doing out here? What slot is Jordan Osterley playing center today? I use Jordan Osterley as a pawn for all this. And this isn't, you know, slapping around Jordan Osterley. It's that he was, you know, a seventh defenseman usually. But that's what the Red Wings would do in the past. They're like, oh, yeah, randomly today we have, I don't know, we called up Adam Ernie. or we're playing Luke Wachowski is now going to be playing forward and defense. Yeah, center and, and starting right defense at the same time. We actually invented a new position called Rover. <laughs> it's actually just called Wit. <laughs> Uh, and then maybe one of the last of like the overwhelmingly positives. Let's talk about Jacob Verana here. First of all, first he got late coming to camp uh, was visa issues. That's why I'm a MasterCard guy. <laughs> God. All right, folks. That's the Wayne Wheel podcast. <laughs> We've had a good run. Late coming to camp, stepped onto the ice. And it was within like five minutes of it being posted that he had taken the ice and everyone being so excited that he took a hit and separated. It was a separated shoulder. Does matter if it's a shoulder. It's all bad. Yeah. Had surgery and was out for near on the entire year. Ended up playing 26 games, which I think that was well aided by the fact that there were 100 games in the last like two months of the season. But legitimately did not play a game until, uh, what was his first? March 8th. That was his first game of the season. But boy. 26 games in like um, two months. Six weeks? Yeah. Yeah. That's just nutty. I'm sure a lot of his production has to do with the fact that he has fresh legs and that team was beleaguered and as was a lot of the league. But for him to come in and put up 13 goals and six assists – when in his previous 11 games with Detroit to end last season, he had eight goals and three assists in 11 games. It, it's not a fluke, right? All Jacob Verona does is score goals. He did not play on the top line. No. at Almost at all this season. I think there was like a game, maybe. Um, his goals per 60 rate was second to Austin Matthews. And he was doing it playing with uh, I know we just praised him, but, you know, let's call space bit with Puce Suter as his center and insert who the hell ever on the other wing. And he scored at that clip because Blasha was not dumping a ton of ice time on Verana. He, he very much eased him back into it. Um. So, yeah, do I expect Verana to score at this clip next year over 82 games? No, of course not. Nobody should expect that. He, I am. Good reach for I, the stars. Hell yeah. Yep. I, I admire your optimism. Um, but yeah, he's going to always score at a very high clip and he's going to score in a variety of ways. And the positive element is it doesn't matter who he plays with to do it. Five power play goals. So obviously effective on the power play. Um, his shooting talent and his shooting ability is just, and I hate to beat up on Philip Zadina, but you look at the the differences in how they release the puck. Verana doesn't Verana doesn't only score the goals where he has time and space. He certainly scores those, 
but the ones where it's like, oh, his he doesn't have the angle on the puck. He has no weight behind his stick. His body is in a weird position. He's actually in the dressing room right now receiving this pass, but he manages to put all of those in. And that's the difference between a guy who can score in the right circumstances and a guy who simply scores goals at will. And and Verona seems to be the latter. Yeah, and he's not a perfect player. There are many times on the ice where he looks uh, lackadaisical might be the word. You, you can see why a strict coach like uh, Laviolette in Washington might not love the guy. Yeah. Like, you get it. It's not like Washington was crazy for putting him on the third line. No, and that team won a cup, so. Yeah, and um, Jacob Verona won a cup. So, you know, the Red Wings have a cup champion. But... Um, yeah, so he he seems like the type of guy who kind of comes in and out motivation wise, which is about as advertised. Um, the per sixty goal rates came in about as advertised, and the shooting talent is uh, greater than advertised. So he he's one of those guys like much like an Anthony Mantha, ironically enough, when he's on, oh, is he on? Uh, three goals, five assists, eight points for twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. Eight points in a cup run—that's pretty good. But um, especially from a third liner. But yeah, no, so I think a lot of what we lost in Anthony Mantha in terms of production, consistency, yada, yada, we, we got back in Jake Brana and, you know, Sebastian Coase on top of that. So definitely a good trade. Yeah, I, I'm only concern I have with Verona right now is um, I think we know who he is as a player. I think we can expect these kind of point totals roughly, permanently, which, you know, is about what, 0. 0.75, 0.8-ish with a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, a, the Red Wings Cy Young candidate. And that's great. My only concern is, okay, we we need him for once to do it over day two games. And not that it's his fault that he got hurt or that he got traded midseason, but we've seen, what, an 11-game sample size and a 26-game sample size. That's still a question mark. Yeah. That's not a lot of time. You want to think like, oh, this is going to scale up and he will hit 52 goals like he was on pace for at some point. But really what you want to see is a consistent 30 to 40. Yeah, if he if he's a 35-25 guy, like 35 goals, 25 assists, which is about looks like what he will would be on a good team. Phenomenal. Incredible. Anthony Mantha never, has ever scored. Yeah, exactly. If, if that's because 35 goals, I think, is below the pace he's been playing at so far. So that is with some expected regression. Yeah. So, which happens over the course of a full season. Yeah. When you play 82 games, just ask Lucas Raymond how that works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and that's, that's phenomenal. And nobody, sh- if, if we're sitting here next year reviewing Jacob Verona's season and he has 30 goals and 50 points, nobody should be upset. Do you know how hard it is to get a 30 goal score? The Red Wings had two this year. That's it. Not many. There's also, for the sake of, of covering the entire discussion here, you know, if if there's going to be people talking about is Tyler Bertuzzi going to get traded, you have to kind of give the same thought to Jacob Verana with with the caveat that this is not because it's necessarily likely, but it's because this is behind the shroud of mystery that is Steve Eisman and how he works. Well, Verana has two things going for and against him that make him less likely to be traded. Uh, from the positive standpoint with the Red Wings, why he's not likely to be traded is he has more cost certainty right now than Bertuzzi does. Um, and from the negative trade value standpoint, well, he doesn't have the track record Bertuzzi does. So other teams might not be willing to pony up uh, what Eisman would want to get rid of him. So, you know, if because uh, he's got, what, two years left on his contract? Three? Yeah, two, two years two? at 5.25. So, oh, yeah. And imagine if he was Canadian, how many more picks he would get. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, no, if he if he comes out and, again, like I said, has like a 35-goal season over an 82-game season, 
uh, going into the last year of a contract, oh yeah, Eisenman's phone's going to be ringing a lot. And then Eisenman has to make that decision with Verona that he's got to make right now with Larkin and Bertuzzi. Are we trading or are we extending? Cause, or both. Yeah. As it was with Mantha. But um, with Verona, unlike Bertuzzi, we, you have to have that full season before those decisions are likely made. Let's get into the tough ones. Philip Zadina. <laughs> we came into the season saying, you know, Philip Zadina, this is going to be a full year for him. He should have every opportunity. He played, you know, 74 games, more or less a full season. And that was his first, he played 49 last season. Um, this is his closest first full 82 game season. And doesn't matter which way you cut it and how much we're going to talk about, like how good he looked at points and how the, the shooting just wasn't coming to him or whatever it was. 10 goals, 14 assists for 24 points was below expected and not, I don't want to say unacceptable fire him into the sun, but Philip Zadina won't be happy about his results this year. No. What was his shooting percentage? His shooting percentage was 6.5 this year up from last year, 6.2. His <laughs> career average is 7.6, which is heavily aided by a 13.3% in 28 games in 2019-2020. Philip Zadina, there's a couple ways that we have to look at this. Um, for the most part, for most of the season, I really liked what I saw from Philip Zadina in just about every way until he got anywhere near the opponent's net with the puck. Yeah. He made plays happen. He competed. He busted his ass defensively. He was a great transporter of the puck through the neutral zone. He was, I'm not going to say an exceptional playmaker, but he, his vision was definitely noticeable at times and he could make plays for his teammates. Uh, and whenever his teammates or himself got himself into a scoring position, um, to, to come back to another term that I used with uh Pew Suter, he shit his pants. Mm-hmm. It, it's as simple as that. He could not hit the broadside of a barn. He could not, shoot it through i don't even want to know how many shots he had blocked this year it was staggering how many he fired directly into a defender um sometimes he sent it 10 miles over the net you gotta give yeah, credit for yeah that. yeah his shooting was oh. exceptionally poor now i say that from that was the reality of what zadina expected for himself this season what we expected of zadina of him to be this great goal scorer which i think we can pretty confidently say at this point he is not but what people need to understand on the back half of that statement, Philip Zena is still a good, useful NHL player. Is he a first line player? No. Is he a second line player? Maybe. But as he is now, if he never improved and you put him on the third line of a good team, yeah, he'd, he'd fit in. He he could he could keep up. He could contribute. He could be that guy. Is that good for a six overall pick? No, of course not. Absolutely not. But it doesn't mean. You should trade him because he didn't live up to expectation. There's still a good hockey player there. Now, do I expect Zadina's shooting percentage and all that stuff to be as bad as it is? No, I, I do expect him to figure some things out. I don't expect it to be that bad forever. As we've talked about before, the easiest skill in hockey to improve on is your shot. So there is a reality where Zadina improves that and comes back and maybe pops 15 to 20 goals next year. I would say it's almost likely based on how talented he is. That's bold. It's only five more goals than what he scored this year. That's fair. Um, it's almost his entire point total in goals. Yeah. Like, ouch. There, ouch, Evan. There is reasonable expectation for improvement without go, going too far down that And I would hole. say he did look 
better, even though I don't think he looked horrible, he looked better with Verona on his line. I mean, there's a shocker. He played with a better player and looked better. Yeah. He did. I don't know if that's a nationality thing or they're just good friends or whatever, but I think there was something there that should be explored. Verona is a game changer. Like he, he, Verona can drive play and Verona can break the expectations of any certain play because he can just put the puck in at command. And it, like I said, with, you know, the Larkin Bertuzzi Raymond line, how that changes, how that elevated what Larkin was able to do. Same with Zadina. A lot of his, like he had the yips really with his shot. Like he was in his own head. You could see it so apparently in how he moved, how he skated, how he beat himself up every time he made a mistake, which wasn't infrequently at times. And with Verona there, it like he can now step onto the ice and think, shit, this this play might not end with uh, Philip Howell. Like, how could you be so stupid? And it might end with, oh, Verona put one in the net or, oh, I'll Ver- just give it to him instead. Yeah, Verona found me wide open. And even if I like I'm. I missed five feet further left than I should have. It's probably still in the net, right? Verona or Zadina did things on the ice. Like I think his decision-making, especially when he gets in his own head, I think the giveaways in the decision-making were sometimes like, you know, Philip, you would expect that of a way lower line player uh, or a way worse player, a player who's drafted way lower, not of you. And we've seen better of, of Philip Zadina, but at points he just dropped way too low in terms of his, what he decided to do with the play and with the puck on his stick. But we've also seen a 180. Like you said, Evan, he his his game elevated with Verona next to him. And like you were saying, Brad, a lot of the times it's like everything up to the net, at, especially the first third of the season, I think, was good. So there's two things he has to correct. One, I think I disagree that shooting is the easiest thing to correct, but I, I agree that it's workable. It's not like hockey IQ. Might not be the easiest for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he has to find so he, he has to work on on maximizing his raw tools because he does have the tools to put the puck in the net more than 10 times in 74 games, plain and simple. He has to also work on his mental game. He yeah. needs to not beat the shit out of himself. And whether a new coach is going to change that. More consistent play with Verona is going to change that. He's obviously not a line driver and he's obviously not a 40 goal scorer. We know those things now, but there is more to, to Philip Zadina and you just want to see the team unlock a little bit more from him. I don't know what his future is with the team long term. He has, he's, he's an RFA. He's going to have a contract. I think Eisman's going to get him cheap. Yes. So, and it's also worth noting too that there are not a ton, but there are a healthy number of top five top 10 picks who in the nhl currently who took more than a few years to develop the one that i can think of right now is sam bennett because that guy went from an absolute complete and utter bust uh, as viewed by um everybody and and now look at him he's a very very productive player on a cup contending team well they're only down to one but they won the president's trophy and he was a huge part of that team so there's always the possibility that one day it just clicks. Um, obviously, more likely than not, it won't. But there there are still traits to Philip Zadina this year where you can look at it and go, he's well above average at that. He is still got above average NHL talent. Because I, I will still argue, puck on his stick, transporting it through the neutral zone, he is the second best player on this team behind Dylan Larkin. Oh, that's... Who? Who else was better than him at that? Maurice Sider. <laughs> okay, okay. Second best forward. <laughs> Second best forward at that. He he was one of the few guys who could navigate his way through the neutral zone with possession and cleanly enter the zone. Like I said, he got all he would very frequently get all the way to the net before he shit his pants. 
<laughs> well, the closer he gets, the further or closer it is for him to have to shoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, he and on the power play, he was one of the very few guys who could at least somewhat routinely enter the zone with possession and get the power play set up. I mean, I'm not saying he's like a world beater and NHL elite talent when it comes to this, but relative to the Red Wings, he did it more consistently than anybody not named Larkin. He's definitely one of the most frustrating players to watch, and I'm sure that transcends through the coaching staff and the the management as well. Because there's times when he does things on the on the ice, and you just raise your hands. You're like, "Why doesn't this happen all the time?" He looks like an all star caliber player at moments, and then there's just full streaks of time where he, you can tell, he has zero confidence and. You're like, I don't know what this guy's doing. It's just, he's so frustrating to watch at times. And I think that's what makes it so difficult sort of evaluating a Philip Zadina season because you see so much more that should be there. Um, but it just is so inconsistent. And he's, he's totally one of those, um, He's all about his mental game, and if it's not there, he just completely falls it, apart. It's not hard to pick out when the soundtrack in his head is just incoherent screaming. If this Red Wings team was good, I bet you he would be so much better because everything would be going good in the room. All the players would be loose. You know, everybody's scoring, contributing. I bet you he he would have double the points easily. Yeah, like even he played, what, the last four games of the season with Verona? Mm-hmm. He had three points. You Like, it's a very, very, very small sample size, but you translate that over a full season, that's a more than acceptable season for him. Um, you know, and, and you know, We'd be remiss if we didn't mention he did have some pretty shitty puck luck to go along with his bad shooting this year. Like there were there were more than a few moments where we were sitting there watching the game going, how the hell did that not go in? And it hit like a stick at the last second or the goalie made a miraculous save. Like he finished with what, 10 goals? He definitely should have had more than 10 goals, but not a ton more. But um, yeah, it was, you know, uh, he gets in his head. He has some bad luck. He's not on the ice for a lot of goals for. He's on the ice for a lot of goals against. It's very easy for that mental downward spiral to happen. Who's a former Czech player that could be his role model that we could bring in? Jacob Verona. (laughs) Thomas Vanek speaks Czech. Thomas Vanek 10 years ago. Is David Krejci check? Yep. Yeah. Ah, oh, there we go. Perfect. We're hey, going to bring it back. a center issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, very quickly, we'll, I think I'm going to cut this off and we'll do the rest of the forwards with the defense for next episode. We're making the executive decision. And that'll be headlined by, you know, Michael Rasmussen, who's kind of an inverse of this conversation. And uh, Robbie Fabry, who we haven't talked about yet. But very quickly before we wrap up the forwards, expected goals per 60. Where does Philip Zadina rank? What do I you think? I have no idea. Of the forwards. Uh, Philip Zadina's advanced stats either are amazing or horrible. There's never an in-between for him. I feel like it's high. He's on the ice for a lot of chances. Philip Zadina is behind Tyler Bertuzzi, Dylan Larkin, Pew Suter, Robbie Fabry, Jacob Vrana. End of list. And That's expect- about where I would have expected. Yeah. Him. So he's head of... In- so in terms of creating chances, he's, he's there. He's there. It's not... It, he's very much... I think you said it well, Brad. You can't dismiss how much of this is his fault. There is some luck involved. At the end of the day, what the Red Wings need to do is making sure, no matter what their decision is for his future, you have to make sure you extract more from Philip Zadina. And that doesn't make it the team's fault, but you have to find a way to get more out of him because there's more in there. It's untapped. Yeah. All right. Just a matter of degrees. 100%.
Okay, we are going to do the rest of the forwards in part two for next episode. This ran longer than expected. Season review, four-parter, mega series. <laughs> well, <laughs> what do we do when this team's competing for cups? Yeah. Uh, we're happier and there's less critiquing. We'll have to take this to the golf course to catch Evan's time. You will. That is for sure. That's your dream, eh? Yeah. Do, doing alone for the course. It's going to be like that. Uh, I would just put in like AirPods or something and then go on mute. And then when you would just say something that needed me and I'd go off mute. You'd unmute and it's just, a, we'd unmute him and it's just a string of curse words. Just <laughs> wind. And it's All here is wind. <laughs> now it's going to be, now watch this drive and you just sail 140 yards to the right. <laughs> yeah, that is probably one of the greatest YouTube videos in existence. That's hysterical. Okay, before we uh, talk about some other things, uh, we first want to mention that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. There are also lots of ton, uh, there are lots of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. FanDuel is also letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Now, what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. 1-800-GAMBLER.net, West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. The playoffs the hell is happening we can't have a close game right no it's against the rules yeah it's this weird like monkey paw curl thing where we ask for more scoring the nhl and they're like fine only for one team it i don't want to say it's been bad but it's been bizarre bizarre for sure so we'll do a quick overview of where every series is at colorado is up three nothing over the preds not surprisingly, although the way those games went was a little bit different than maybe we would have anticipated. Colorado has dominated all three games, and Connor Ingram just got into one in game two, and that's uh, yeah, which is fun. Yeah, um, it, it did go to overtime, and uh, Connor Ingram had to make forty six consecutive saves for that to happen, and he did. <laughs> Minnesota is leading St. Louis two to one, and Minnesota right now is down three to two to St. Louis uh, with two and a half minutes left in the third. Hey, a good game. That series is going exactly how I thought it would. Yeah, that's one of the ones where you're like, it's going back and forth a little bit more. Calgary is down 2-1 to one to Dallas, a little bit surprisingly. Well, uh, Calgary uh, doubled their goal total for the series last game. <laughs> it's been a war of attrition, that series. Jake Ottinger for us is, or them? <laughs> Jake Ottinger has been in one a little bit. Yeah, because um, that was one of those. It's a It's a West Coast series, so I've stayed up late to watch some of those games. And boy, do I regret it. Does Matthew Kachuk have more fights against uh, Klingberg specifically than Calgary has goals? Uh, yeah, literally yeah. going into game three, the answer was yes. Did you hear um, Daryl Sutter's comment about Johnny Goudreau not scoring on uh, the breakaway? No. He's like, 
He said something about something like, well, it's his job to score. <laughs> oh, boy. It was just a classic Sutterism. It was hilarious. He's like, they asked him a question about it. Some stupid question. He's like, I don't know. It's their job to score. <laughs> Johnny hit in the washroom for a long while after that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Edmonton is up 2-1 over LA. And honestly, that is probably the most decisive 2-1 lead I've in the playoffs right now, maybe. Yeah. Over the last two games, 6 nothing and 8-2. How do you stop? Connor McDavid. (laughs) Essentially, Edmonton beat themselves the first game. And that's not to take away from what LA did, but Edmonton is the much better team overall. Oh, yeah. And that is with a goaltender, which at any point is either, you know, Conn Smythe winner or firing the puck down the middle of his own zone to to throw away the lead or whatever else they have going on. Um, Washington up 2-1 over Florida. And like, it was a big win the last game. They won by a, it wasn't close. They're uh Florida needs to figure this out and I mean Brad you've said it the last two episodes until they win they have that loser franchise tag and like, God do they to me they look exactly like Tampa when they got swept by Columbus. Like discombobulated. They only look good when there's time and space which like in the playoffs, there's not a whole lot of it. Goes away. And like Ovechkin's just putting guys through the boards, and there's some guys who've got uh, sniffleitis out there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really fair assessment. And the game changes, right? You can have all those 100 point scorers, or they know. look amazing as soon as there's an, an inch of space out there. But when there's not, uh, it, Florida just has not looked good at all. Man, when did the timeline shift and the Capitals became the uh, right? the veteran team that knows how to win in the playoffs? The Caps are now the been there, done that. I was just thinking, like, oh, it's no longer Ovi's a choke artist. He he can never do it in the playoffs. Now Ovi is like leading the charge onto how to shut down the leading team in the playoffs. It's this is the one I thought would be just a formality. But Washington has put together something, you know, credit to them, but also discredit to Florida. They have not looked good and good teams find ways to win. When your top nine is that loaded, there's no excuse. You got to figure it out. Absolutely. They're only down 2-1 too. It's not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of only down 2-1, Tampa Bay, the other team in Florida. Okay. First of all, I, I didn't do a good enough job of this last episode. Toronto has put together some good games and and Jack Campbell has put together some good games, but Tampa Bay is another team that looks like discombobulated. They're beating themselves, weird myths, weird mistakes. Like there's points where Victor Hedman has the puck in the blue line and I'm watching the game and I'm expecting him to bobble it and lose the puck because he's done it so often. And, and Steven Stamkos like that, that save that Jack Campbell made on Steven Stamkos in the one timer. Good save by Jack Campbell. Stamkos fired that into him. He fired that into the middle of the net. Where, where the one spot that Jack Campbell could get to reliably. And you're like, well, Ryan, it's not easy to hit whatever corner. I'm like, sure, but you're Steven Stamkos and it's the playoffs. Toronto's playing great. And I think Toronto's doing a lot of things right to beat a very tough matchup. But Tampa looks out of sorts. Yeah. And Toronto's really good. They're not making it easy on Tampa. No, no. Like, like again, you're a loser franchise until you're not. They're, this could be... The Leafs here where they're like, oh, this, okay, we get the playoffs now. Yeah. We, we've, we've got it. And for context, the puck just dropped on game four at the time of recording. So definitely yeah, so Tampa 6-1 out. is the final. 100%. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> You're welcome, Tampa. Was it, wasn't there some sort of stat like four of the last six playoff series the Leafs have been in? They've been up 2-1. Yeah. yeah. Prashanth pulled that up. Oh, was it Prashanth? Yeah. And it's like <laughs> so many Leafs fans are like, respectfully, 
<laughs> F you. <laughs> yeah, not now, please. <laughs> but this time it's different, I swear. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't breathe until the puck drops for game one of the second series if I'm a Leafs fan. Just so yeah. you know it can't go away. A weird series. Buffalo or Boston came into game four today. Down Charlie McAvoy. He's out for uh, on COVID protocol. And uh, they end up winning that game. What was the final score? 5-2. Five two with an empty netter. Yep. Brad Marchand with a casual five points today. Yeah. I don't know what to make of this series. I. It's fun. Carolina ran Boston out of the building the first two games, and now the series is tied. Goes to show you how wild the playoffs can be. Um, if you don't, if you're upset about the lack of close games, you at least look at series like Boston, Carolina, and you're like, okay, this salvages what I think I lost in fun because. It's unpredictable. Oh, no, that's not the series that has salvaged the lost and fun. It's unpredictable. It's wacky. Um, it's a bloodbath. Oh yeah, it's highly entertaining hockey. Yeah, I just it sucks that it's Boston because you know I really want them to lose. <laughs> oh, they'll lose in round two to whoever wins out of Pittsburgh and uh, the Rangers. Speaking of high entertainment, making up for the rest of the first round. My God, this series is a work of art. What more? What more do you want from that series? That that has given you everything. You have Crosby doing Crosby things. You have goalies either getting lit up or standing on their heads. You have massive com- simultaneously both. Yeah. You have massive uh, leads being dissolved in the matter of minutes, like triple OT game. Yeah. Um, however unfunny it became uh, that, you know, the meme with the spicy pork and broccoli, which by the way, everybody that stopped being funny five days ago, stop. Um Man eats meal. More at 11. <laughs> yeah. God damn. Guy almost shits pants. <laughs> I have never seen such like a mildly amusing thing get run so heavily by the media. That's NHL, man. Do you have one thing with an iota of personality? They're like, don't let that go. Yeah. But man, yeah, that series has been fun. We had a four year bit about eating pineapple. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> because he wouldn't do it. We're just we, on brand with the NHL. We, just we were waiting. Lock, I we're in lockstep. Yeah. Ryan, you and I wanted that to die in a week. That wasn't on us. That was on Mr. Didn't Eat the Pineapple for four goddamn years. <laughs> Anyways, talk more about the, the Rangers Pen series. Um, it's like if you rode a motorcycle out of a helicopter and landed in the middle of a game. It's it, pretty good. It's so good. Yeah. That yeah, That's the one series I have actively looked forward to watching after the first game. Because, yeah, phenomenal hockey. I don't know which way that one's going to go. Neither do I. There's different points where I'm like, mm, Pittsburgh's doing what they need to do to get past New York. And, you know, they're solving Shesterkin when they need to. And you can see the difference in the guys who've been there, done that. And that's what's moving the needle in the series. And there's points where I'm like, oh, New York just has their number. Like, there's no way Pittsburgh can hold this. And they have fresher legs and whatever. Pittsburgh's up 2-1. I wouldn't have guessed it based on how a lot of the play has gone, but that doesn't matter. It matters the game's won. It's already down 1-0. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew I honestly I swear I knew that was gonna happen. The because I talked about Tampa sucking, I'm like, watch they're gonna and score. And guess who scored? Steven Stamkos. Of course. <laughs> Tampa fans. Is, no, without seeing the video, it was a one-timer uh, right know. in the corner from what I was talking about. Thought it was unassisted, so it can't be a one-timer. Uh, no, it was the boards to Jack, himself. Jack Campbell passed it to him directly. Yeah, probably. Anyways, that's the playoffs. Um, yeah, there's a lack of of close games. I think what we'd expect with seven of the series being two-one, but. Oh man, is it interesting that seven of the series are two one? 
and anything can happen at this point. It's pivotal. It is. It, it, and, you know, speaking in hockeyisms here, this is where this is where cups are, are, are made or lost. Whoever ends up winning this cup, there's a high likelihood that people are going to look back to that first round and say, this was a, a close game. This was the triple OT where they made it work. This was when they were down 2-1 or 3-1 in a series and they didn't completely dissolve and they came back and found a way to win. Yep. It's speaking in generalities, but you're right, Evan. Like Good teams find a way to win, especially when the going gets tough. And they know when to put teams away. If you're up 2-1 and it's the difference is going 3-1 and 2-2, most of the good teams that win put those teams away when they have the opportunity. And one last point about the playoffs here. This isn't old school hockey where 2 nothing, 3-1 ends uh, a game. You have four goals, you should be shooting for five. You have five, you should be shooting for six. Goalies are letting things in. Defenses are falling apart. There's injuries. Scandella just left uh, the game for St. Louis earlier today. Like Louis Domingue's playing goaltending, or is goaltending in the playoffs? Scoring is the name of the game right now, and you do not let your foot off the gas. Yeah. Because that lead could go away in a second, and you do not want a... Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs bookmark in yep. your in your playoff storyline. Yep. Well, uh, I hope your brackets are intact. <laughs> I have no idea. Mine is. Hold on. Stamkos on a one timer from up. the OV spot. Shut up. <laughs> Shut. <laughs> the goal was not unassisted, and that thing uh, went just inside the post blocker side. That must have been the score. <laughs> <laughs> You are welcome, Tampa fans. Just for video proof, so you know I'm not... uh, Yeah. Yeah, there it is. And that's what you needed to do last last (laughs) game. Tampa fans, you can make your donations directly to patreon.com slash podcast. Jack Campbell was squared up for that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, I know this is going to be a long episode, but I do want to do the Connor Geeky conversation. So this is our prospect profile for a centerman who's coming... uh, Presumably presumed centerman who's coming through the draft maybe in the range where the red wings are picking and quite a divisive one uh six foot four playing for the winnipeg ice brad sick team name yeah it's i like it and their jerseys are elite like legitimately maybe the best in the dub divisive and i i think i'm i'm leaning into that by starting with brad but brad take us away on connor geeky oh connor geeky the uh poor skating highly skilled giant centerman playing in the whl whose range of possibilities could land him anywhere from kirby doc to michael rasmussen (laughs) and we don't know where exactly he will land and this debate will rage on between scouts right up until the draft because he's a six foot four centerman with skill and he's canadian yeah Yeah, that's two spots up yep there is a lot to like there he plays at a slow pace and is a very poor skater Hmm, that's concerning going up to the next level. Where is he going to fall? The answer, I don't know, which is why he scares the hell out of me in the draft. Because you see the stuff he can do on the ice and the stuff he can do with the puck. And it's very apparent he has a lot of skill. Will that stuff work against NHL defensemen? Usually no. Until he finds an extra gear in his skating, he's going to be a huge red flag. Um, The one thing that he has that... Wasn't really a calling card for us. Well, wasn't really a calling card for Doc. Definitely wasn't for Rasmussen. He has a bomb for a shot, though. So he's the type of guy who, even if he's not generating for himself, has someone who can generate for him, can absolutely finish on those plays. It's easy to understand why he's a top 10 
prospect in a lot of rankings and it's very easy to understand why he's outside of the top 15 and others. Um, and yeah, I, this is just me and this has always been my bias because there have been so many whiffs on guys like this. The, the big top 10 forward who doesn't move all that well, we've, we've seen that be more misses than hits in the top 10. For every Kirby Doc, you have a Lawson Kraus and a Michael Rasmussen, right? So it's the potential is there. And if he hits, he's going to hit big. That's the intrigue. And man, I I really wish I could sit here and give a firm opinion where I stand on him, but I, I haven't yet been able to decipher that. And I probably won't ever be able to decipher that. Where he falls in my rankings is probably going to end up just being where I think it's an acceptable risk. He, he Connor Geeky to me has enough where I don't think this is a Michael Rasmussen scenario, but I agree that there's concern here. I'm trying to work against my own bias here where skating is the first thing that you notice and it's, it's so apparent and he's got... He doesn't move extremely well. I think for his size, there's a little bit of like the Mantha thing going on where you're like, he moves a little bit better than you might give him credit for. But yeah, at the NHL level, he's not going to get separation from his skating. That said, he's a big, strong kid. It's hard to have that frame at a young age and have all the strength he should have, especially down low. He continues to get stronger. And the skating, if it can get to like sufficient, then that's not bad if you're also a massive six foot four you know, 200, 220 center who can win puck battles, be a dominant force down low. And oh yeah, you have an incredible skill set and can either fire the puck home or dish the puck really well. And he can do those two things. And that's why he's so attractive. But even though he's not a good skater, he also doesn't play with pace. He doesn't do any of these things particularly quickly. Um, you know, it's not the first time I've, I said a lot of these things with Kirby Doc as well. It's And, and obviously Doc's been better than I thought he would be, but still has not lived up to his draft slot. And uh, to most Hawks fans has been relatively disappointing too. So it's worth noting that. Um, yeah, it's, you can do all the things that Connor Geeky does, but if you cannot execute them at an NHL pace, it doesn't matter what you can do. And again, I'm not saying he's not going to get faster. We saw the improvements of Michael Rasmussen skating this year. Pace can definitely be improved. Um, so I'm, I'm not sitting here and saying, do not draft. And I'm not saying I'm going to set a table on fire. If we draft them at, at eight, nine or 10, please. No, it's a wood table. <laughs> like the, the, there's optimism here, but again, it just comes with that inherent risk that if he doesn't get it up to an NHL pace, it's not, none of that other stuff is going to matter. He's, he's got a sky high ceiling for me. And like you said, it's the acceptable risk because with a sky high ceiling comes with a lot of margin for error up and down. There are too many other guys in that range that I like, but if the Red Wings are dead set at set to get to grabbing a center, if you think this is a guy that's going to pan out, this is a guy that's going to pan out at center. And if if Geeky pans out at center, he <laughs> Rasmussen's been good on the wing. Anyways, if Geeky pans out, uh, pans out at center, that's a top six center, right? And isn't that mm. isn't that solving mm. something right there? Mm, I'm not convinced that if he breaks through, it's, he, I don't think he's top six or bust. I could absolutely see reality where he's not 
Michael Rasmussen per se, but follows uh, that kind of trajectory in the sense that, yeah, okay, he's not really working out here. Let's simplify his role and play him down the lineup. That's on the table for him for me, which is good because that raises his floor. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's worth noting. That's not necessarily a negative. Um, but yeah, it's, it's acceptable risk because again, there's, and I, this, I should point out, this isn't my bias. I'm not the only one saying and expressing these concerns. Very prominent people in the scouting world and, and the hockey writing world are saying very similar things. Um, so if people much smarter than me are saying it, then it's, it's an, unacceptable an actual risk and um yeah it's again i will reiterate not to be negative the hands the shot the creativity the vision it's there it absolutely is there now is he getting away with these things because he's six foot four against teenagers uh yeah that's helping him a lot don't get me wrong is it possible maybe even likely for him to figure it out up a level yeah absolutely it is and if he does is that going to be a very good hockey player? Absolutely. There's a reason he's getting top 10 consideration. Like, um, um, so again, if the Red Wings pick him at, well, let's be honest, nine, <laughs> it's fine. It's good. Again, he won't, based on my rankings, he, he's pretty firmly outside of my top 10 just because there are at least 10 players that I am way more confident in are going to, tr- that are going to translate to the NHL level. And that's fine. But, Again, Edvinson was like my eighth or ninth ranked guy and they picked him at six and it was like, cool, it's great. And hey, a lot of the things we were saying about uh, Geeky, we were saying about Edvinson, just not to the same degree and at a different position. And guess what? Edvinson worked those things out and now he's a phenomenal prospect. It goes both ways. So all I'm trying to convey here is um, he's one of the riskier picks in this draft, especially in the first round. Yeah, like I like his game, but like you guys said, like he once he's up to speed, you're like, okay, this guy could be is definitely a top ten pick, but he clunks around out there for sure. Like he's got some stone feet on him, and that is concerning when the NHL continues to get quicker and quicker and quicker. Could he carve out a career where he just plays in a twenty foot area and you know he? can put in some points, you know, get involved uh, physically, perhaps. But how many, like Brad said, like how many guys have you seen that are just physically dominant at their age and then they never do a single thing in the NHL because everybody else is a grown-ass man? That That is a big concern and uh, I... I I don't know. I li- I'm very conflicted on him as well because we've seen him in the flesh and like his skating <laughs> makes me want to gouge my eyes out. <laughs> but when he does has the puck on his stick in an area, it's like, holy shit, this kid is really good. It's not quite Michael Rasmussen and it's not quite that archetype, but there's enough there where you shouldn't ignore it completely, right? He can do things by him on his own, which makes it feel less Rasmussen, but there is obviously the physical characteristics that remind me a lot of, of them together. Yeah, to relate it to Red Wings specifically, in terms of style of play and what they like to do, Connor Geeky is more Elmer Soderbloom than he is Michael Rasmussen. He likes playing with skill. He likes the skill game. That's his default. Whereas, Would you say Wish.com Elmer Soderbloom? Hell yeah. Well, <laughs> honestly, where he's being picked, he should probably be better. Um, but in, stylistically. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, he, he it's likes 3 nothing Tampa, by the way. <laughs> 
I swear, I swear I knew it. You give them the slightest bit of There's, a compliment. They've played eight minutes. I swear the moment I saw the game started, I'm like, I know for a fact they're going to come out. With you know what Toronto game. needs right now? Connor Geeky. You know what's not good? When Pat Maroon is scoring. Oh, you. Yeah, when Pat Maroon's putting him in on you. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to derail that, but yes. Uh, it's okay. But yeah, so like, just because he's big doesn't mean that's his defining characteristic. Because again, we have, what was the biggest advertisement for Michael Rasmus going into the draft? Oh, he's huge. And he can also do these things. That's not geeky. He's a skill player who happens to be six foot four. So that, that does ease my mind a little bit but again yeah thank with the benefit of the top prospects camping in kitchener this year we, we got to see his skating live and um that only heightened the concern not yeah. easing did it was, not ease it, it was, you know what i did after watching geeky just to wrap this up i immediately went back and watched more tape on geeky because i'm like that was one game and there was so much on either end of the spectrum i need to know more happy to announce that i'm still just as conflicted so yeah. it's very confusing and you have to take a real deep look at your organization and say can we get the most out of this player and can we correct anything we don't like about him if it's if it's not a hundred percent this is absolutely fixable you pass 10 out of 10 times yeah not in the top 10 we're going to be talking more about connor geeky uh in future episodes for sure well we'll see how the draft lottery goes and on that note the draft lottery is on tuesday night we are going to start our winged wheel podcast annual draft lottery live stream around 6 30 6 40 ish i can't wait till we don't have to do these i know it's gonna be so good a lot longer than i hope (laughs) (laughs) so tune in on uh for that youtube.com slash winged wheel podcast subscribe to the channel and uh we'll be doing a whole thing it's a lot of good fun no, we should, when the Red Wings aren't in the draft lottery anymore, we should still do the live stream and it should just be us getting hammered with our feet up on the table, yelling and laughing at other fan bases. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Uh, Only if the mascots are doing it at that point. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you a mascot costume. We can, you can dress up as Gritty. Okay. So uh, tune in. It's good fun. And uh, hopefully it's one of the last ones for a long time. All right, we're going to wrap up with a quick overtime here. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Uh, they're the reason we're able to do Red Wings two-part, maybe more, season in reviews, draft lottery live streams, um, Evan's booking fee, everything that comes with it. So uh, thank you to all of our supporters. You've been so incredible to us. Um, Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. Uh, Matthew Lynch says, do you think Stevie uses the fourth round picks to move up if possible or do we let her ride? Also, I'm really high on Slavkovsky. Like, I hope we get set, pick second and get him. Um, fourth round picks aren't entirely useful to move up in the first round, I don't think. It's not going to move the needle for most GMs. But, you know, to move up in later rounds, yeah, they have their pick. They have Colorado's pick and they have Vegas's pick. So you can definitely see it. I just, it would have to be part of more to move up in the first round. Yeah, I wouldn't think too much of it. Um, the Red Wings absolutely are in a position where they could um but i don't think it's like you know that's why they have them um i'm gonna cheat by picking this one from babel Endescog, who says what do you think is more likely to happen dallas upsets calgary to move on toronto actually beats tampa to move on or washington upsets florida i'll still say toronto with the three nothing down in game four that would only tie the series for tampa with the next game being in toronto um just because i mean St. Louis won 5-2, by the way. Yeah, no, a couple empty netters, I think. But um, no, Toronto, it's simple. Toronto's the best of those three teams. 
That's the reality of it. And I mean, Florida and Calgary, despite having not played great to this point in their series, are still two of the, what, four or five best teams in the regular season. So you still got to assume they'll probably get their shit together at some point. I'll say Washington just because I I'd it's say funny. Washington beating them. Dallas would be my close second one because I thought Dallas was absolutely garbage for the most of the season. Yeah, to be fair, Dallas uh, has been to a cup final recently and Washington has won a cup recently. So they are the absolute opposite of loser franchises. So Nick Geyer says, which player or players do you think this cup run will be their last at bat for? I personally think this could be Sid's last real chance at a cup. This will also be more than likely Joe Thornton's last chance and Florida is blowing it for him and Giroux. I was going to say Giroux. Corey Perry. Uh, Giroux is still going to land wherever he wants to land next year. Uh, Thornton's the the answer here. Or Thornton. Um, Okay. Keenan O'Donohue says, assuming we stay at nine and Savoy and Nazar are gone, the two top European D are gone. As GM, would you be willing to take Kemmel over Geeky, even though we need a center? Yes. Yeah. See previous conversation. Yeah. I'm... You have to be certain Geeky is going to be a center if you take him there. You have to be certain Geeky is going to translate up levels. Yeah. Uh, similar vein here from Cheesebag. Uh, it says, also, if we end up with pick 8, 9, or 10 and Lambert is not available, I'm really hoping Steve trades down for multiple picks. I'm just not excited about anyone else in this range. I don't hate the trade down idea. So here's the thing that people always need to remember in this scenario. I tend to agree that once you get past a certain point in the top 10, which is outside of where the Red Wings will be picking, the draft does tend to get a little underwhelming and, and very jumbled for about five, six, seven picks deep. Eisenman probably will notice that. And do you know who else is going to notice that? Every other team picking behind the Red Wings, which means that they're not likely willing to overpay to trade up or even pay fair value to trade up. 72 Athanasiu, this is from Reddit. Um, the thread went up late, so I'm grabbing a couple of extra questions that came in. It says, I know Stevie's hard to read, but what kind of players do you think he'll bring in? Top four left D, third or second line center? If yes to any of those, how via trade or free agent signing? Thanks for taking the time to keep doing what you guys are doing because the pods are great. Much appreciated. Thank you for the kind words. He needs to sign left D. He literally does not have enough to field the team next year. Um, who or what? He just signed Edvinson. There you go. I think he's going to probably try to do something at center. It might not be super significant, but like he's got to try to do something at center. Because <laughs> like you could go into next season with, let's say, Valeno, Suter, Larkin, and fill in the blank here as your center. Stevens. They already have their third and fourth line centers. They're just playing a lineup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sad. Um, also, goalie. They're going to move on from Grice most likely. So Helberg, that's true. Um, Yarvik seven says, in your opinion, what will the Blashill era be remembered for? What positives did Blash bring to the team as a coach in future? What will we be thanking him for? I.e. teaching team defense, mental toughness, never giving up, etc. Meme economy is going strong. The faces for sure. Let's play. Let's state it simply. Blashill era is going to be a conflicting one of a lot of loss and he's going to be attached to the darkest era of the Red Wings in near on three decades. You want to draw on the positives? Like Steve said, this should have been a Buffalo level dumpster fire organizationally. Like by all rights, it could have been Buffalo, it could have been Ottawa where the fire is both on the ice and off of it, off of it. And the fact that it stayed only on the ice is a testament to, you know, how he ran the program as a person, but 
We're on ice product. Um, basically nothing. With with w- <laughs> to draw this silver lining that I can, the Raymond Raymond Insiders starting with the deployment that they got in their first seasons is something that will and should be attached to to him and his decision making as well, and that's going to last for their entire careers. Um. <laughs> number one but chumba says how do you feel about the nhl central scouting rankings and why are they so awful wow yeah that i feel the same as i do about it every year which is that i pay less and less attention to it i pretty much look at them to see what teams might be thinking but i think there's even a and, and i'm just guessing here based on my what i've kind of noticed anecdotally i think teams are even getting away from those rankings in general too the nhl out of touch yet again shocking yeah I also where was where was Nazer again on the North American rankings? Out of the top twenty, I'm pretty sure. Which is there's like I get it. Scouting is subjective. Lists should look different from each other. Um Nazer out of the top twenty North American skaters, not even total. North America is is inexcusable. You can't watch like there's no reality. You watch him play hockey and go, yeah, second round, maybe. It's it's not new, but it's still, it doesn't fail to be shocking. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Wayne Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, don't forget to tune in to our Draft Lottery live stream on Tuesday night uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash winged wheel podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the channel as well. It would mean a lot. And uh, there's a lot coming up. Part two of the Red Wings season in review next episode, unless... Hey, if it's a draft lottery win, then that's what that's not what next episode's going to be based on. You'll figure out what next episode is about based on how Tuesday night goes. So we'd like to thank all of our listeners, everyone who's tuned into the show over the years, any new listeners, all the new Winged Wheel podcast patrons, the FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring the show, and our name-level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Eggfur, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, uh, <laughs> not going to read that one, uh, Billy Howell, Brandon M., Carl Bertanen and Aluski, Cheese Bag, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hana Lee, Hassam Al-Qasem, I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Stay Fresh Greech Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Big Chungus, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Roses by Outcast is a good song, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Get ready for the pain coming Tuesday night. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.